Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Father in heaven, these here are yours. Everyone here is here for your word to hear it, Lord. And to the end that your purpose is what's worked out. And to hear your word in order to bring the ends that you seek in our life. I pray, Father, that it is your word on my lips and that it's your word that is heard and that is received and that is believed on. Cause all who hear your word today to be built up in, their most, in our most holy faith, According to the word you speak to us today out of this gospel, may this be so. And in the name of the risen Lord and our Savior, do this, Father. Amen. Have you ever sent a precious parcel of some value, something that has been paid for and entrusted it into the hands of another person, a courier, for example. But when it gets to the receiver, you get negative feedback. I don't know how many of you have got accounts on eBay or Amazon here. You know what negative feedback is like. I mean, one time, um, we sent an electronic good to, carefully packed as well, to someone using the courier only to receive a call saying that it had been damaged. Um, this guy had paid the price for it. He paid the full price for it. And he looked forward, definitely, you buy something, you're looking forward to receiving what you've bought. You're looking forward to using it as well. And, but he was disappointed and he got in touch with us like, hey, this thing you sent me, it's broken. A crucial bit of it is broken. I can't use it. Anyway, eventually we resolved matters with that person, with the buyer, but we had to have words with the courier about how they handled our package. We're looking at the resurrection, and today it's necessity. The gospel of Jesus Christ in its essence, is God's message. It is God's message. It's a message of great worth. Just like that item I sent off to someone. It's a message of great worth. God sent his son to redeem mankind from death by dying in man's stead. That's the message. It's precious. And redemption, the redemption that God gives and offers to us in this gospel comes at an irreplaceable and great personal price, personal cost to God the Son, Jesus. And it comes at that cost to those of us who receive it. 
Now, just like in that illustration I gave you, we are like the couriers who handle that message. We are like the couriers who handle God's precious message of redemption. Now, the message we deliver has got to be what God's given to us to deliver. Otherwise, it will be of no use to those who receive it. It'll be of no benefit, it'll be of no worth to them. Just like we'd get negative feedback. We'd have ended up preaching something that's of no value, that's of no worth, without the resurrection in the gospel of Christ. The gospel also holds promise this God's message, it holds promise of eternal life that's guaranteed by God's Son being raised from the dead. That's an essential part of the gospel. We as couriers deliver that gospel message faithfully when we preach the risen Savior who died for our sin, who died for the sins of mankind. Now, we'll examine this in three points today as we consider our text. Let's read together. We're reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verses 12 to 28. Is that legible enough? You can't see it. You can see it. Okay. Opening your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Who was talking about technology earlier? <laughs> Have you got your Bibles with you? 1 Corinthians 15. Let's turn there. I'll wait. Let's hear the flicker on the pages. Are you there? Are you there on my left? How about on my right? How about at the back? You at the back, are you there? Okay. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain, is vain rather. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God, that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, verse 16, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then 
those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Read on from verse 20. But now, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to that will be abolished is death. Reading by default in King James. <laughs> For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he's expected who puts all things in subjection to him. That he's accepted who put all things in subjection to him. Verse, and verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. A very long reading, but we began looking at the resurrection last week. And last week, Pastor Rob spoke of how Saul, the enemy of the way, as Christians were, as believers were known, or called initially, received the call to preach from, to preach from the risen Christ. Again, last week we saw Pastor Rob speak of how Saul, the enemy of the way, received the call to preach from the risen Christ. In Acts chapter 9, many of you may be familiar with that story. You heard Pastor Rob talk about it last week. I'm not going to repeat, um, read the, the passage again. How he went on the road to Damascus having just consented to Stephen's stoning, went on the road to Damascus looking for more believers, more followers of the way to arrest, to persecute, to throw them into jail, antagonizing them, harassing them, without regard for whether they were men, women, whatever. I get them, I'm going to lock them up. That he had on his mind. But, he runs into his enemy, so to speak. Jesus, the risen Christ, 
the one of whom these people who he was arresting spoke freely, spoke with conviction. He ran into him on the way and finds himself up against Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. But we heard last week how Saul, the convert now, now Paul the apostle of Jesus, had faithfully gone around preaching the gospel which he received from Jesus with Barnabas, with other co-workers as well. Question, as we look at our passage today, what was this message that brother Saul received? And again, we looked at that yesterday. So this leads us to consider our first point. What was the message that he received? First, first point I want us to consider this, evening, this afternoon is that one thing a servant of God must do is faithfully pass on the true gospel as he's received it. The true gospel. He must faithfully pass on the true gospel. Now, Paul cites a short summary of the gospel that he has received. And with his conversion as well, possibly dating back to within two years of uh, these events that he's described. What's he say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? We read that last week as well. In verses 3 to 7. Please turn with me there, if that's not very legible. He says, For I delivered to you, I passed on to you, if you like, as of first importance, what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to save us. Then to the twelve, or the eleven, if you exclude Judas... After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at, once, at one time, most of whom remain until now. And I remember Pastor Rob saying, if you like, go check them out. So, sort of pointing or lending to that, that this, this, I'm, this I'm testifying to you is stuff you can go and check out. The testimony I give of the risen Lord is true. You can check it out for yourself. That's the message that he's preached, that he's received as well. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Paul cites a short summary of the gospel that he's received. And this that Paul recites in his letter is probably the oldest 
probably the oldest creed attesting to what the earliest followers of Jesus believed about him and what happened to him a couple of days after his death. What am I saying here? If something happens in our midst right now, I mean, there's a big, very famous trial going on. Can anybody tell me who's, who's the key guy involved? Sorry? Without a doubt. You're all living witnesses of that. Okay? Of course, there are many versions going on out there. And it's probably going to be determined on evidence. Seen as it were, that it was probably just, it'll probably just be a case of him either denying or acknowledging whether he actually committed premeditated murder. That's the thing in question right now. But you all are alive, and so many, without much of an effort, just go. Yeah, Oscar Pistoris. Now, in the early days of the gospel, just like we saw last week, those two guys on the road to Emmaus asking Jesus, what's the matter with you? How can you be asking us what things? Are you the only stranger? I mean, are you a stranger? Are you the only one who's just come to town? You don't know what's been happening here in Jerusalem? But out of all that, this is like a summary of everything in a nutshell that needed to be said, that needed to be heard for anyone who's coming to hear about the gospel for the first time. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He wasn't just dying as an innocent victim of an abuse of power by the then either Roman governor or the Sadducees or Pharisees or the ruling council of Jerusalem or of Israel. No, he died according to the scriptures. He died for our sins. These things were spoken of beforehand. Remember we said this is God's message. And he was buried. They, at, they threw that in there. He was buried. You bury those who are It's a doddle, isn't it? And that he was raised on the third day. Again according to the scriptures. And this is what Paul received. This is what Paul probably received. Because he did say, listen, I received this, and this is what I've given to you. He makes a point of that to the Corinthians in verse, verses 3 to uh, 7 of the chapter we're looking at. But Paul received this gospel at a time when he was in very full agreement with putting, with, um, putting Stephen to death. Again, one of the early followers of the way. One of those who worked closely with 
the apostles. If you like, one of the deacons of the church. And this would be, a, this would be someone that everyone knew. And would it baffle you thinking about this? This is the same Saul now, or Paul, who's writing later on to a church. He's writing to a church at Corinth and calling them to get the message right. Hold on. A minute ago, you were, you were happy to have followers of the way stoned. You were happy to have followers of the way arrested. What's this with you now coming out to say, get the message right? Of course, it would be incorrect of me to say, oh, a minute ago, because at the time he's writing this letter, close to at least 14 years have passed when he's writing this letter to the church at Corinth. Because here we see at the beginning, Saul was initially opposed to this message. Saul had worked to persecute those who faithfully delivered the good news. I highlight this point to ask a question. What made the difference? Why the sudden change of heart, Paul, or Saul, if we want to call you that and remind you of your bad old days? What's changed, Saul? What's new? What's different? Well, he met his enemy, or he met his Lord. Now he's Lord. He met Jesus Christ. Pastor Rob took us through that last week. So to speak, he met, the re- he met his enemy, so to speak, and this was the risen Jesus Christ who he met and became a witness of the fact of Jesus being resurrected from the dead. That in itself would would make a massive difference from standing opposed to those who go out preaching and telling about a way, which is nothing new. I'm sure Mikey P, Ashley can bear witness to that. You get people who tell you, well, you believe in Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, I believe in leprechauns. Simple. Why are you wasting your time standing out here in the cold? It's freezing. Come, have a spliff. Let's go to the electric or let's go to the fridge. You're wasting time out here, standing in the cold, freezing your knuckles off. Because what you're talking about is just unreal. We get that. And this was Saul's stance before he met the risen Lord. But the point I make here is this. He's met the Lord. He's met the risen Jesus. And this made a big difference in him deciding 
to stand faithfully. You can only stand and tell what you really know and have experienced and have encountered and have held on to for real. Paul, he was taught this and he attests to it as he also, as, I mean, also as he preaches. Having been an enemy of the way before he's converted, I mean, it's either he was a pretender or a hopeless, a hopeless prisoner of sound conviction of what he had found to be true. Now, the apostles who walked with Jesus as well, think about this. We've gone, to, we've gone from when Saul was converted to him now being a preacher of the gospel, attesting to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At the time he was converted, or before he was converted, the apostles who walked with Jesus, Peter, James, and John, at that time, now express added confidence in him. And by this time, I've extended a right hand of fellowship to him on a visit to Jerusalem several years afterward. Initially, this guy going about to try and preach the gospel met with suspicion, met with people wondering, hey, what's it with Paul? What's it with Saul? This one who persecuted followers of the way is now preaching the gospel? It's like, hold on, what's going on? This is the guy who's arresting people. He's coming to arrest us, but... Thank God for guys like Barnabas who would stand to be an encouragement and stand by him, bringing him close to the church that believers may know, wait a minute, this is a guy who's really met the risen Lord, who's really uh, converted now. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're entrusted with relaying a message but as you go, the message is distorted. Or you realize you've not paid careful attention to what was passed on to you. Now, as, as believers in Christ, for everyone who's said, hey, I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I believe in his sacrificial death on the cross for me. For everyone who's put their trust in Jesus Christ that way, we have that responsibility as well to pass on this gospel message faithfully. Let me ask a few questions about this. Do you know what the gospel teaches or what the gospel announces? When looking at this creed, do you know what the gospel speaks of? Did you know that the gospel speaks about the death of Christ for our sins? Did you know that the gospel speaks about Christ being buried? Did you also know that the, the gospel speaks about Christ being raised from the dead according to the scriptures? And that this is attested to by those who saw him after 
his resurrection. If we were in Saul's shoes, or as it were, if we were on Saul's horseback, taking that trip to Damascus to arrest other followers of the way, and we got knocked off it by the risen Lord, would the gospel have moved along to the extent it has today based on letters we've written out to people telling them about this Lord who we've encountered or urging other believers and testifying to them about this Lord having risen from the dead. It's a question for us all, for me as well. Because everywhere we go, we will encounter those who throw questions, who doubt, who say, hey, leave it, not here. It's good for you, just leave it, leave it for, you know, keep it that way. It's good for you. I believe what I believe, you believe what you believe. And let's leave it there, end it at that. What can we testify of, of this risen Lord? But even talking about that, what does the gospel not preach? It's interesting sometimes. You regularly catch a bus to work, part of my journey to work every morning. And just like on cue, this lady, she waits for the bus to stop, and then stands up, heads for the door. Jesus loves you. Why don't you try Jesus? He will solve your financial problems, health problems. Try Jesus today. He will not let you down. And I'm thinking, mm, hmm, gospel? Okay, yes, yeah, she's mentioned Jesus, fine, but all the other stuff? Is, is, that, is that faithfully proclaiming the gospel? What does the gospel not say that we say or add to it or make out like is the gospel? You probably heard them kind of messages, right? What teachings in the name of the gospel or what other teachings do believers say all say the same thing? If there's Jesus in it, it's gospel. True? Hello? If there's Jesus in it, it's gospel, is it? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Well, as we make progress through today's passage, we'll see Paul acting on the need to help some in the Lord's church. to see the error of their thinking about the gospel. This brings us to my second point. The servant of God must correct error 
lovingly. You see, through this letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians, um, he corrects them on several issues, this being one of them, the, the content of the gospel. See, now Paul has passed on this gospel faithfully, and indeed, you would reckon, okay, he's passed this on. He's preached the gospel to them. So what seems to be the problem here? Well, he asks a question to the Corinthians as we read in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, he'd already preached Jesus Christ, remember. He gave them a summary of what he'd preached. And he had, in fact, when he preached Jesus Christ, he preached essentially in that gospel the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead. Remember, we're talking about the resurrection. And this is an important fact of the gospel. Stop and think about it for a minute. Would there be need, if we're talking about raising the dead, to raise one who's not dead? Who works in the healthcare professions here? We have any nurses in the house? People who work in intensive care? Or A&E? Perhaps there's plenty of TV to show us about that. You hear in the emergency programs where the doctors are running frantically around trying to get somebody back, get some vital signs, vital life signs back in that individual. And when there's signs of life, job done. Just put them in care. No need to try and resuscitate that one or bring them back to life again. Right? Now, Paul is talking about <laughs> the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead in the gospel. So, see how both elements of the message are related. First, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And then that he was raised. He was buried because he was dead. And then he was raised the third day, according to the scriptures. In this case, if you're talking about raising what needs to be raised or who needs to be raised here is Jesus. How does Paul go about trying to correct this, correct the church in their error concerning the gospel that they hold on to. He's asking them a question here. If Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some of you, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
The point is simple enough, isn't it? If Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Looking at this carefully, looking at this in particular, you would be careful to note a point Paul is raising, particularly how holding another belief, they say there's no resurrection of the dead. But then, Christ is preached that he's raised from the dead. You say there's no resurrection of the dead, but you believe the gospel. Hold on. Either I didn't preach the message correctly, or you guys didn't hear it correctly. Which one is it? Well, they're holding on to another belief that clearly contradicts the gospel. Paul had... In fact, like a good courier, like a faithful courier, he'd handed over God's message to them. And they received it. They received it. And then at this time, he reaffirms the message that he had preached, just as we looked at in the first point. And he goes a step further. Do you see, just by way of application, over the years, I mean, I've, I've been here in fellowship with Carver Chapel, South London. It's going close on 10 years now. That'll be 10 years later in the year. And at times I stop and ask myself, hmm, What kind of care does the leadership of the church take for you, God's people, in this regard? When it comes to what you believe or hold on to, when it comes to what you declare to be gospel, what kind of care do you see the leadership take concerning essential issues, things that we must take hold of. Things that are part and parcel of the gospel. Do we take such care of you as overseers who are accountable to God for his flock, for his people? Or is there plenty of room for all manner of belief, all manner of doctrine, all manner of teaching to come in and just put a slight, just put a slight, what's the word now? Put a slight twist or shade on the message that we know God wants the church to hear. You can answer that question. If you've been here for a good minute, you can answer that question. I hope you can, and I hope you realize that, hey, that's something that, that's a charge that um, the leadership of the church has to do and has to take care of. So that 
where there's anything by way of doctrinal error, teaching something that's not quite right, and somebody steps up to you to say, hey, bro, it's nice that you, you know, contribute or make a point of this or that or the other, but can we talk about this a bit? Can we look at this, you know, what, what you mean by this or that or the other? Hey, here's an example of this man of God correcting error lovingly. It's a responsibility he has to take care of. In this instance, particularly about the resurrection of Christ in the gospel. You see, it seems like Paul has gotten feedback from the Corinthian brothers there. That perhaps in the sort of message that is going out from Corinth, you hear in accounts of, in other letters of Paul in the gospel where he talks about, for example, the Philippian church. Boy, the news of you, you know, has really gone far. The Ephesians, news of you has really gone far. And I hear how you guys are making good progress in your walk in Christ. But he gets feedback that passes through to him. And indeed, this is in many ways similar to us here in South London. Corinth, a church in a city of Greeks, Jews, and Romans, mostly freed men from Rome. Corinth was. But we also here in the UK, similar to them, we enjoy a great deal of freedom here, including the freedom of expression. Including the freedom of expression. And that is a good thing. When truth is freely expressed and forms base, the basis for sound belief. Now, here in the UK, there is easy access to the internet, iTunes, sermon.net. Every church has an app these days. We South London doesn't. And what, 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 why do I say these things? Through these, we get through all these things. A multitude of instructors, many people can be there ready to teach about the gospel, ready to teach about the faith. But, and in a lot of cases, that's all it is at first. But you can easily find yourself way off track on another thing that's definitely not the gospel. Time will fill me to just go into lots of examples. But this Corinth is a church which Paul spent over one and a half years of the Lord's instruction because there the Lord had many people. He had many people there in Acts, as um, is recorded in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. And having left the church at Corinth for Ephesus, he hears about this influence of Greek thinking about the resurrection. 
Time will fail me to go into the details of that, but these guys, the Greeks, believed that resurrection, if it takes place at all, is not really a bodily resurrection. In fact, what happens is, when, the, when people die, their bodies stay dead, but their spirit is resurrected. There isn't a bodily resurrection. And this is probably what's affecting the Corinthian church now. Hence, Paul asking, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Back to the point. Suffice it to say that they believed in the resurrection of a spiritual body and not the physical body that died. Contrary to a testified and well-attested account of Jesus actually being dead, actually being buried, and actually being raised in bodily form. In body. Witnesses there existing to, to attest to this. This is the whole point of what Paul's talking about in verses 12 to 19 of our text. I mean, here at Calvary Chapel, South London, we've held a mandate that's dear and remain committed to seeing the church remain healthy in doctrine. And as in this case, we'll take care to see that that's well done will inform our belief and advance it as we reach out with the gospel. A lot of things going on to demonstrate that. I mean, how many of you were here when we started the um, catechisms? How many of you remember that? Basically, just like, like a creed, putting down foundational truths, essential things of the gospel, that we must take hold of, that we must believe in essence about the Christian faith. I mean, there are, there are loads of treasures that we make available for us to take hold of. Loads of downloads there on iTunes, sermon.net, Vimeo, to help establish each and every one of us in foundational Christian belief based on the truth of God's word. Now, what is what is the point that um, Paul is really going after? It's bringing us to the point, the main, the main thing that he's uh, highlighting here. What is our third point? Here it is. I mean, just like sewn on a button or something intricate that you want to hold in place, Paul introduces a key word in the passage that we're looking at. And he asks the question, if indeed there is, if we say that Christ is, if Christ is preached, that he's been raised from the dead. 
notice the, the part, the way he uses this to just demonstrate the point he wants to make in one fell swoop. I mean, he's basically introducing the circumstances that are necessary for the point he's trying to make to be true. The resurrection is a part and parcel of the gospel. We can't do without it. If you believe here, for example, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, excellent. If you believe here that Jesus Christ was buried, fantastic. Believe it or not, there are many who stopped there. I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins. So I'm home free, sins forgiven, heaven bound. That can't be possible without, you have no assurance of that without also holding on to the truth that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That's part of the gospel. It's part of the parcel. Parcel. We must deliver that as well to be faithful couriers of God's message. If you believe Jesus Christ died, he was buried and was raised from the dead and will raise the dead in Christ to life because he was raised and is alive to assure of that eternal life for those who believe in him. Yeah, now we're talking. I feel like I'm stating the obvious, but that's just stating the obvious. Stating it very simple. It's what God wants to say. Look at this passage with me. Don't get mentally tired about it. The point is a simple one. Paul is at this stage in his letter putting a logical thought to the Corinthians. I mean, that's something the Greeks were into, right? Reading through the passage, he puts a proposition to the Corinthians to address this issue that has surfaced in their midst. Please turn with me in your Bibles, in your Bibles, you will need to do that. And let's just quickly look through verses 13 to 19. The key word there is if. All right? Are we there? As we read through quickly, we'll see the point Paul is making. And we'll quickly see the implications of the belief these guys have held in error, unfortunately. 
Verse 13. If you can, you can read out with me when we get to if. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, what does it imply? Read the next line. Not even Christ is raised from the dead. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then what? Our preaching is vain. We're just talking. We're just talking, simple. We may as well go form some other social club. Save the Siberian tigers or something. Because it's talk. What else? What does he say next? Your faith is vain. Because you believe something that is not true. If. If there is no resurrection of the dead. Because who died? Christ died. If he's not raised, what's all this talk about? Verse 15, he goes on. Further implications. Moreover, who? We are found to be false witnesses of God. False witnesses. Because why? We testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If, in fact, the dead are not raised. If, in fact, the dead are not raised. A gentle hint there. What are the implications of there not being a resurrection of the dead in this gospel if it's not, in fact, true that the dead are raised? Christ is not raised. We may as well go home. Our preaching is vain. Your faith is vain. We got no business together. Nothing in common. No hope. No shared hope. But if the dead are not raised, for if dead are not raised and Christ did die, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Why was Christ raised? God raised Christ up as an assurance, as proof. Hey, this guy who died, according to the scriptures, has died for your sins. The debt for sin is paid. Here's the proof. I've raised him from the dead. <laughs> but then, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. And then, of course, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men to be most pitied. All men to be most pitied. Now, if indeed 
the only hope we have in Christ is like that message I hear. Trust in Christ for your financial problems, your health problems, all these things to be sorted. Listen, yes, you can sort those things out, but when we die, we die and we stay dead. No hope of eternal life. True? That's where it stops. It ends there. It ends there. But thank God it does not end there. Because if that's the case, we truly are of all men to be most pitied. You can understand from the point of view of the atheist or the people who don't believe in God why they feel some kind of pity for you, for me. Listen, let's have a good time. Come on, we die tomorrow. You've only got one life. Don't waste it. Don't blow it. There's no hope of resurrection. It's essential. It's a key part of the gospel. Let's conclude on this point. Paul Paul takes care now to drive the point home. Listen, this is standard. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. The first fruits of those who are asleep. I don't know if there's anybody who runs or has allotments here or you've had some potted pepper or tomato plants or potted celery or salad or whatever you. Anybody? It's hard to find. I can't believe it in this country. Never grown anything? Corn? Potatoes? Not a single hand. My goodness. <laughs> One. Just two, three green fingers here. Gosh. Marky, all right. Listen, you plant something, you go to Lidl, buy some apple or pear tree and put it in your backyard. Or you put some pepper in some big potted plant and with a dream of eating organic salad every week or however often those things produce. You watch that thing constantly. Watch it, watch it until you see the first fruit, the first fruit born of that plant. Paul explains this here, that, listen, since by man came death, by a man also comes the resurrection of the dead. Because as in Adam, Adam being a kind of seed here sown from which we get death, and as in Adam, all die, so in Christ also all will be made alive. This is the fruit we see in Christ when he's raised from the dead by God's working. God has sown, he gave his only begotten son. We heard Pastor Rob talk last week about one of those uh, passages in Scripture where it's prophesied that he will see the, the fruit 
of his labor. Christ will see the seed of his labor come back to him. His life is given. He says, if a seed of corn falls to the ground, if, if, it, if it except a seed of corn falls to the ground and die, it remains one seed. Gosh, I feel I had a, I wish I had something else to say because it seems like I was not getting this, this thing about the seed sown. Because I've been there, I've planted corn before. It's part of school project back in Nigeria. Standard. You plant that corn, listen, you guard your corn. You see the ear come out, you guard it because you're waiting for that first fruit to come. Once that one comes, you know the rest are coming. That's what Paul's saying here. Each one will come according to his own turn. Each one in order. Christ the first fruits. Now, we have heard and we have seen Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. With Christ seen, resurrected, raised from the dead, listen, you can be rest assured others will follow. That is part of the gospel, key part of the gospel. That's good news. You can rest assured of that because it's God's doing. Let's close with this note of encouragement. He does say that he must reign. Christ must reign till the end comes. When he has put all his enemies under his feet. And verse 26 in our passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says, can we read it together? The last enemy that will be abolished is death. He will make, his, he'll make a footstool of his enemies, definitely. The risen Lord is the risen Lord who gives and enables everyone who's standing in service to him, everyone who's speaking his word, everyone who's out there preaching, everyone who's out there instructing in the church, Everyone is out there repeating and relating this message of faith in the risen Savior. Here's the one enabling that by his spirit, the risen Lord Jesus. And he will return. He will make all his, all his enemies his footstool, the last of them being death. We hear, we, we heard of, we hear of um, bereavements. And they're painful. They hurt. They're hard to receive. But please, without that resurrection, oh my God, how much more painful would that be? How so much more painful would that be? Therefore, this is a good news that Paul preached and he talks about the resurrection. Having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring 
he's now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having shown proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Savior and our God, Your gospel is amazing. The good news about this risen Lord is amazing indeed. For us who don't know what it is to <laughs> be alive after death, Lord, we look forward with eager anticipation. We look forward, Lord, with hearts panting after you. We look forward, Lord God, for the comfort that being raised to life brings. We know that man can never find that out. Mankind can never discover that for ourselves. But it's in your power, Lord, to raise to life. It's in your power, Lord, to raise to eternal life and you've shown this you've done it you've demonstrated it even in Jesus who died who was buried being raised from the dead to reign eternally giving us this assurance of eternal life Lord we receive this good news today we pray Lord God that it is indeed a comfort to all those who are hurting from the sting of death in our midst Lord and we all do experience that. We all do have that from time to time. Some fresher, sorer. Because we've just experienced that. But Lord, speak. Risen Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts. Speak comfort to us today. Even concerning this eternal life that you hold out for us. And help us, Lord God, to faithfully declare your counsel, even in declaring this good news, declaring the resurrection and the life that is in Jesus as we speak and declare your word. Thank you, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.